Well, this is the third week in our series, How to Know When You Grow. And we're trying to figure out if there's ever a way to tell that we're growing up, spiritually speaking. And that's not easy to do. And we talked about that in the first week of the series, that growing is something that happens almost in these tiny, microscopic amounts that you don't even notice. So on the daily basis, as you're kind of progressing toward Christ, as you're getting more mature in your faith, as you're getting better at obeying and all of that, usually the increases are so small that you can't even see them happening. But when you add up all those little itty teeny bitty growths over weeks and months and years, it actually starts to add up to be something significant. But normal growth happens real, 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 real slow. Well, then last week we started asking the question, is it possible to have a spiritual growth spurt? Are there ever those moments when maybe growth happens in such a way that you can like, oh, I'm growing up. You can actually see it in the moment. You can feel it in the moment. Are there ever situations where you make a, a choice or you look at something that you've looked at before and you just think about it differently? Are there ever times where you approach a situation that you've approached before and you react to it differently? You don't fly off the handle like you used to, but you're, there's a distinct change in your behavior. And are there ever moments that you can kind of, in the moment, realize, I'm growing. I'm actually growing in my faith. Well, we started asking that question, like I said, last week, and we're going to kind of look at those types of moments for the remainder of this series. Um, and last week we looked at the power of serving. When you stop sitting and you start serving, because the most normal thing, the most normal way people will come into a church is in a service like this. And you come in and everybody else is sitting down and so you sit down. And if you're exploring God or don't know much about God and all this is kind of new, that just seems like the thing to do is to come and sit and listen and kind of stand when we stand, sit when we sit, be quiet, not cause a ruckus, don't draw any attention to yourself and all of that. But at some point, if you make the decision to follow Jesus, if you say, I want him to be my Lord, I want him to direct my life, and I ultimately want my life to look like Jesus' life, eventually you're going to have to get out of the seat and start serving somewhere, because Jesus served. You're going to have to get up and start helping people, because Jesus helped people. That is the most natural thing that will eventually come in the way of your spiritual walk with Christ, is to serve and to help, to be a part of the mission that he put us here to carry out. Now, if you felt like last week's sermon was a bit of a sales pitch, if you thought, oh, the pastor's just trying to get some work for us, that's what's going on here. He's just, it's a recruitment drive, and he just wants some people to do the work so he didn't have to do the work. Um, if you thought last week was a sales pitch, you're not going to love today's sermon um, because we're going to tiptoe into some more, uh, even more uh, uncomfortable topics here. Uh, here's the, what we're talking about today. Another spiritual growth spurt takes place when you begin giving generously. When you move from either not giving or maybe just like, oh, here comes the offering plate. I'll just take out whatever's in my wallet if it's not a 20 and put it in the plate. If you go from giving unintentionally or not at all to giving intentionally and generously to the mission of God, that is one of the biggest like, road signs that you are on the track to spiritual growth that I actually know of. But I understand if the second I start talking about giving, you want to just clock out and start counting lights. Uh, because... You think, oh, the minister just wants my money. The church leaders are just after my cash. Um, and you've probably heard people who 
were like me, get up on a stage and wear a microphone, and they called themselves a minister or a pastor, and then they started making outlandish promises, how if you just give to my ministry or give to this church, God's going to bless you, and he'll take away all your debt. God will give you a brand new Cadillac in the driveway, or you'll win the lottery if you just give to my church or my ministry, and they've made these outlandish, ridiculous-sounding promises. You've probably heard that, and that makes you very skeptical. You've seen pastors, if you're old enough, go to jail for things like that. Well, I think they should all go to jail for saying things like that. Because to me, that is evil, that is a lie, that is something called the prosperity gospel. It is a crime of men who wear the name tag of minister, who are trying to take advantage of often desperate people to get rich. They are using a crime, taking a crime and wrapping it up in the Bible and selling it as such. And it is not in Scripture. And so I do want to say today that I don't want your money. Okay, let me change that. I want your money. I mean, I'm a human being, and I like money, and if there was a way for me to get your money without really hurting you and it was legal and all that, if you're just giving it, come on, I'll take your money, okay? I'm a normal person, and I like money. So maybe to say I don't want your money is not the best way to say it, but the reason I'm preaching this sermon is not for me to get your money. I will say it that way. And what I mean by that is that Ben and I, we do not work on commission. That is not how we operate as a church, okay? Um, So if you are like kind of skeptical, you think, oh, they just want me to give a big offering so that they can get rich. That's not how this works. One, the offering's already been passed, so you're off the hook there. We're not going to pass it again unless the Spirit leads, but uh, probably not going to happen. But the way this works, Ben and I, our paychecks are determined before the year starts, and so if attendance spikes or giving spikes, the guys don't go, Good job, gentlemen. Here's a big old bonus. Here's thousands of dollars. That's not how it works. Our checks stay the same. And also the church leaders, if you think, well, they're going to do it. They're going to get my money. No, that's not how it works. We have a checks and balances system. Nobody's going to rip us off. Nobody's going to take money without everybody else kind of knowing about it. So we try to be careful with those things. And so if you're real skeptical, come see me after the service. I don't care. I'll show you my pay stubs. That doesn't bother me one bit. And I'll show you our checks and balances system. I'll walk you through how all of our money gets deposited and everything is touched by more than one set of hands so that, and checked by more than one set of hands so that nobody can just run away with all the, uh, the cash after the service is over. And so I just want to assure you that I am not after your money. The reason I am preaching this today is not because I think I can get rich by preaching this message. Uh, I've been doing this for 10 years, preaching on money. It ain't worked yet, so I'm guessing it ain't going to work today. I'm not after your money. If I was, you would see me driving a lot nicer car than a 2003 Ford Focus with over 200,000 miles on it. Just rest assured. Look at that car in my driveway and be like, okay, I don't think he's getting our money. Like, that's fine, right? So... Why am I preaching this? Well, I already said, because I think when you move from not giving to giving generously to the mission of God, it is a red flag, but a good red flag. It's a good indicator that something has changed in your heart, in your spiritual life, that says you are on a track to be shaped and molded into the likeness of Jesus. Now, let's say that you believe me when I said that no one's trying to get rich off you today. The next question that you should ask if you think about it long enough is, okay, if the guy preaching doesn't want my money and the church leaders don't want my money, then why is God after my money? Because God made everything, all the universe. He's got everything at his disposal. He doesn't need a thing. Why is God after my money? Well, let me just go ahead and say up front that I don't think God is after your money. 
Money is just an indicator of where your life is heading. And the reason I want to talk about that today is because for most of us, and maybe you don't fall into this category, but I do, for most of us, giving away our hard-earned, often limited supply of money isn't really a hoot. Anybody with me there? Like, I, I am not the kind of person that is like, look at all this thing I can get, all these things I can give my money to. Woo, yay, let's give all the money away. I married someone like that, okay? And there are a few of you weirdos in the crowd that are like my wife. Like, by the way, she is so lucky that I showed up in her life because if it weren't for me, she would have nothing because she would have given it all away to everyone that she sees fit. So for more reasons than one, she is so, so blessed to have me. Feel free to tell her that. That's great. That does a good, that's good for me. Um, but she's generous, naturally so. Some of you are like that. My guess is that most of us, though, are not. Like, she's so generous, she assumes that, that I, at times, am just game to be that generous. One of the times I notice that the most is when we go out to eat, we'll be sitting there eating dinner, you know, we'll order, get our food, having our drinks, and everything's going great. And then all of a sudden, I'll see her fork, like, start to cross from her side of the table over to my side of the table, and it's heading towards my plate, and I'll say, what are you doing? And she says, I just want one bite. I have two problems with that. <laughs> one, she never wants one bite. And some of you, you're, you're that. You're the same way. You're that one bite person. You always say one bite. You don't want one bite. You want our plate. You wish that you had ordered what we had ordered. You're disappointed because you took a risk, and you want what we had because we played it safe and smart, and we got something delicious that we knew was delicious because we thought, I'm spending money on this. I ain't going to waste my money on something I might not like. And so you're over there trying to get one, one bite. That's just the first bite, okay? That's what you need to say. Second thing I have with that is, you know why I ordered this? Because I wanted all the bites. I didn't want, it. I didn't want all these bites minus one. I wanted the whole plate. Even if I take it home, maybe I'm planning on having leftovers. This ain't your plate and my plate. It's mine. That's why you ordered your own plate of food. And I don't want your plate of food. I got my own. You stick to your side, I stick to my side, right? She assumes I'm going to be generous. By the way, if you think, man, this guy is stingy, now you're starting to get the picture of who I am as a human. Okay? This is, uh, this is just who I am all the time. I am not naturally generous. I tend to cling to the things that I have. To even give you an idea of how bad I am at this, let's say you came to me and said, Anthony, did you hear? They changed the tax laws, and when you get your taxes done next year, you're going to get like a $10,000 refund. I'm going to get excited. But then let's say I go to get my taxes done, and I get a $5,000 refund. I would be disappointed in that $5,000 refund. Why? Because the second you said I was going to get 10, my heart had 10. My heart was hoping for 10, and I only got 5. Well, it was 5,000. I didn't have in my possession five minutes ago, but I'm disappointed. That's how my heart works with money and stuff. It clings to it. I fall in love with those things. Abby's just like making it rain no matter where she goes. Some of you are that way. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to get into a story that has to deal with both money and spirituality. And it is a, a moment where um, some people who think they're really smart, they try to trap Jesus in his words. 
Um, there's a lot of Jewish religious leaders who did not like Jesus. That's no surprise. He was challenging the status quo, and so they would often try to come up with him and ask him impossible questions to put him between a rock and a hard place so that no matter how he answered, he would be trapped, and he would have to say the wrong thing. Now, spoiler alert, Jesus is always smarter than these guys, always outwits them, and when he says what he says that we're going to study today, the only reaction these guys can have is, oh, is to awkwardly look at their feet and just kind of shuffle away because they knew that he just totally destroyed them with his words. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 22. Matthew 22. If you want to get a Bible, great. The words will be on the screen. If you want to use one of the Black Pew Bibles, that's great. Sometimes it's probably handy, I think, to be able to refer back to the things that I've already read past, and usually what's on the screen is what we're either reading, we're not hanging out in what we've already read. So Matthew chapter 22, we will start on page 15. Uh, I just remembered, I did not change the page number, so 947 is not right, so good luck. Anybody got, got there yet in the Black Pew Bible? 827, 827 is where you're going in the Black Pew Bibles. Thank you, Sandy. So here we go. Then the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle him in his words. And they sent their disciples to him, excuse me, along with the Herodians. So pause. This is kind of a, a, a weird moment. You have the Pharisees and the Herodians. These are both sets of Jewish priests, but different sets of Jewish priests who did not get along with each other. Like they did not see eye to eye on on. on any issue. They were always on opposite sides of the aisle fighting with each other, but here they come together. This isn't a great analogy, but think about what it would take for Democrats and Republicans to just totally drop all the arguing and work together on something. They would either have to be really heartbroken about the same thing or really all hate the same thing to work together. And here, it's that kind of deal. These Herodians and the Pharisees, they both want to go, want to take Jesus down, and so they're setting aside all of their differences for this moment so that they can try to work together and trap him in his words. So that's how much these people didn't like Jesus, so just to give you a little bit of the motivation. So they bring the disciples and the Herodians, and they say to Jesus, Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully, and you do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances. And they just start buttering him up right out of the gate. They don't, they don't ask him the question. They don't trap him. No, you got to bait the trap a little bit. you got to smooth things out, make it look all nice. They want to relax Jesus so that he's not on guard, so that he'll just walk right into their trap, and they can snag him right up. This is kind of like if your kids ever come to you and they're like, Mom, you look nice today. Did you lose weight? And you want to be like, oh, well, thank you. Wait, what do you want? Like you know, right? Like, I was in uh, teaching the class a minute ago, and James just came up and gave me a kiss on the cheek and walked off. And that's what somebody else in the group said, what does he want? I was like, I know, right? Like, that's kind of what you, something's up. Like, when, when they're too nice, something's up. Like, and that's what's going on here. These guys are too nice. Jesus knew they didn't like him, but here they are, buttering him up. They didn't think he was a person of truth. They didn't think he was God's messenger. They knew he didn't care about other people's opinions, but that, they're trying to butter him up and trick him in that way. And so here they go. They're going to start setting the trap. Tell us then, what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? And that's the trap. And most of us, we would probably miss that um, because that's not really much of a question, right? I mean, when it comes to paying taxes, most of us know we need to pay our taxes. We might not like paying our taxes, but we know 
okay, paying taxes, jail for tax evasion. I'm just going to go ahead and pay my taxes. Like that's, and most of us, we don't have a chance. It comes out of our paycheck. That's just the way it is, okay? We just think, of course you pay taxes, right? But 2,000 years ago, the Roman Empire had taken over pretty much the entire known world, but not everybody was thrilled that they got taken over. And one of the groups of people that were not thrilled to have uh, oversight was the nation of Israel. The Jewish people were very bitter. They wanted to be a free and independent nation under God the way they had been under the great kings of old, like David and Solomon, right? But, uh, in fact, one of the, the great things that made people miss how Jesus came very humbly and meekly as a homeless, walking, traveling preacher, teacher, was because they expected the Messiah, the Savior, to come on like some white horse with an army and throw off the shackles of oppressive Rome and make Israel a free nation again. Like, that's what they wanted. They hated having Rome, like, lurking over them. And so to the Jewish person, they mostly thought that paying taxes was, that they were getting robbed. And so the Jewish people thought, no, you don't pay taxes. We don't want to pay taxes because they're lording this over us. So if Jesus said, pay your taxes, all the Jewish people that were there listening, which was everybody, would have immediately said, what a what a loser, what a traitor. How dare he, he jo- take joy in the fact that his people are being oppressed. But if he said, no, don't pay your taxes, anyone in there could have went and got the nearest Roman centurion and said, hey, by the way, this guy's telling people not to pay their taxes, and they would have taken Jesus right off to jail. So, I mean, rock, hard place, Jesus. Like, that's kind of what they wanted. They got him in a trap. If he says yes or no, either way, people are going to hate him, or worse, he's going to get carted off to jail. So that's the trap, right? So, ha-ha, we got him. We finally got Jesus. But Jesus, man, he's a slippery guy, and he got out of this stuff over and over again. Here you go. But Jesus, aware of their malice, why put me to the test, you hypocrites? Because they, they showed up lying. Gee, oh, teacher, we know that you are a man of integrity. Well, they're not. They're making it all up. Like, they're just buttering him up just for the show. And so Jesus says, you guys are hypocrites, and you're trying to put me in a trap, but I'm better than that. He says, show me the coin. Show me the coin for the tax. And so, you know, I just picture Jesus being just so frustrated with this stuff because this is not the first time it's happened, and it's not the last time. They keep trying to trap him, and all it does, honestly, is take him away from his mission of trying to teach people about Jesus, uh, teach people about his salvation, what he came to bring. But what is amazing is Jesus takes this huge interruption that they're, and this trap that they're trying to throw at him, and he teaches us something in the middle of it. He doesn't just get out of it. He doesn't just walk away unscathed. He, he shuts their mouths, which is excellent. By the way, if you've ever been in one of those situations where you wish you could have just said something like a great comeback, dropped the mic, and walked off and left everybody going, whoa. Like, that's what he does here. So he not only has a drop the mic moment, but also he provides one of the most profound teachings that would have rattled everybody there listening. Here's what he says. Bring me a coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarius, that was the coin of the day. And Jesus said to them, whose likeness and inscription is on this? Because like our coins, their coins had a face on it. And they said Caesar's, Tiberius Caesar to be uh, exact. If, uh, if any of you are super Star Trek nerds, you will know Tiberius to be the middle name of James T. Kirk, captain of the Enterprise. That's free information. That has nothing to do with the Bible or our story today. But he was the Caesar at the time. Caesar, that's whose picture's on this coin. And then he said to them, Therefore, render, give, 
Give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And when they heard it, they marveled. And they left him and went away. And for the longest time, I read this story and I had absolutely no idea what it meant. And I, I knew, like I knew Jesus said something powerful because they all just kind of went, whoa, and walked away. So I knew he said something that meant something, but I couldn't make sense of it for the longest time. Well, so we're going to, let me connect two dots that will open this up for us all. Okay, two dots. Number one is that the New Testament was written in Greek. That doesn't sound exciting, but it's very helpful for where we're going. The New Testament was written in Greek. And the word that was put on this coin right here, or the, the, that he mentioned when he was talking about this coin, that's Tiberius Caesar, okay? That was a denarius. Was when he says likeness, that word is icon. It's the, it's the Greek word that we get our English word icon. So when you click on your computer, it all goes back to this story, okay, icons, okay? And the word means image or likeness. That's the first dot you got to know. Second dot, 300 years before Jesus showed up on the scene, 70 guys got together, smart guys got together, and they started translating the Hebrew Old Testament, so what we call, what we call the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, they began translating that into Greek because Greek was the language that Rome took everywhere with them, and everybody had to learn Greek. And the, when they translated Genesis chapter 1, and they got to verse 27 where God makes human beings and it says God made humans in the image or the likeness of God depending on your translation. They chose this word right here, this word icon. And so this word was filled, saturated with meaning. Whether Whatever language you're looking at, Hebrew, Aramaic, or Greek, the three languages that the Bible is written in. This, this phrase of image or likeness, it was loaded with meaning. Every one of the Jewish people in this audience, they would have known. It would have been shoved into them from an early age that they were made in the image of God. And that's what made human beings special and unique, that God made them to be like him. And so Jesus stands up. You can almost picture him grabbing the coin. Who's, who's, whose image is this? Whose likeness is this? Caesar's. Well, then give to Caesar what's got his image on it because the only thing Caesar can put his image on are coins and statues and things chiseled out of wood and stone. So give to Caesar the things that have his image on them. But give to God the things that have his image on them. God, he, or when Jesus spoke this, he's saying, give Caesar the money, pay the taxes, whatever, but give God your life. Give God the very essence of who you are. God is not after your money. He's after your heart. And that is the biggest thing that we have to understand when we are coming to ever talk about this topic of money. And, and it's one of the biggest roadblocks of maturity for so many Christians. I mean, people who have been in church for years or even decades, this is one of the biggest roadblocks because they never get past the idea that it's about money. It's not about money. The offering is not about money. Yes, money has many practical applications for ministry. You know, we send it to missionaries around the world. We keep the lights on, the air, the heat, all that stuff, right? The TVs, the electronics, so that we can make the Bible more helpful. We send it to Myanmar, India, uh, soon to be Thailand. We, we, money has very many practical applications for the work of God. But giving is not about your money. It's about the very fact that before God ever wants to get to your money, he wants to get your heart. 
He wants to know that you have surrendered yourself to his will, to his leading. And so the reason I say that generosity is one of the biggest markers that your life is being transformed by, by God himself is because if you are generous, if God has your money, chances are he's already gotten your heart. Because, I mean, again, I've already mentioned to myself, I'm a stingy person. And the reason I'm a stingy person is because my heart wants to cling to money. It wants to cling to stuff. And so I don't want to let go of my stuff, and I don't want to let go of my money because my heart has it far uh, too tightly grasped. I mean, when I give money, most often what I think of, when I'm writing a check or I'm getting, opening my wallet to pay for something or even giving money to church or to somebody who needs it, there's that thought, even if it's in the back of my head, usually it's in the front of my head, but it's saying, what can I do with this? What could I do with this money? What fun could I have? What unhealthy things could I buy? How many Oreos could I buy with this amount of money that I'm giving away? How many late night snacks could I purchase with this money? <clears throat> I eat a lot. Those are the things like, like I'm thinking, what can I do? What can, what can this money mean for me? I have a hard time getting past the money, and because of that, I get stingy. And I'm guessing that some of you might be like that. I'm, for instance, I'm a I'm a super nerd when it comes to money. Like, I'm a budgeter. Like, I'm bummed that Michael Kenner's not here because he's a, he's a man after my own heart, right? Um, we're both super nerdy budgeters, right? I spend every money, every, every dollar, excuse me, on paper, digital paper, I do it on my phone, before the month begins, right? So I have everything lied out before, November's already in the books, man. Before, November hadn't even started, I got it planned, right? So when I feel, maybe that little hint from the Holy Spirit saying, hey, you need to help these people, you need to give to that thing, my first prayer is, but God is going to mess up my plan. God, I got a plan. I know where all the money goes, and if you take extra money out, then I got to change my plan, and I got to say no to me more often. That's because my heart is often in the wrong place, and I find generosity difficult because of that. And, you know, I joked earlier that Abby was lucky to have me in her life, but the reality is the opposite. I am lucky to have her in my life because just as she would be broke and ha because she would have given everything away, I would be Scrooge McDuck without her. I wouldn't have a money bin, right? I probably wouldn't accumulate that much, um, but I would be this stingy old person who didn't want to give anything away, and it's my money, and I'd stop to pick up every penny off the sidewalk because a penny saved is a penny earned, and I would be that guy, right? So it's good. Like, there's some money and generosity. That's one of the areas of our life and marriage where I'm just kind of like, sure, whatever. I'm, it, I'm sure you're right. Like, I know I don't feel like it's right, but I'm sure you're right. Like, I just kind of throw that into her department because she's better at that than I am. But the reason is always it's never a money issue, if I'm honest. It's my heart in the wrong place. It's my heart not understanding what God can do with those dollars and cents. It's my heart not seeing the world the way God sees the world. I'm more concerned about what I want and not what other people need. It's always a heart issue, and that's what Jesus wants to bring to the forefront here. That your money, when you come to giving generously to those who need it and to God's mission, it is not about the dollars and cents primarily. And until you get past that idea, you will have a very hard time being a generous person. It is always about your heart and whether or not you are willing to submit to the transforming work of God in your life. You are willing to let Him tell you, what's right, him to tell you what's wrong, to let him transform your vision so that you can see the hurts that exist in the world and so that you can start to see the power that your money has when it goes beyond your grasp and it goes into his hands and he is using it to bless other people. And so 
God's not after your money. He's after you. Money just is a good indicator of, of whether or not he has you. And so more often than not, when he has you, you will start seeing the world the way he sees it, and your hands will loosen up on your cash and on your accounts. And you'll start to see that the needs that exist and the, and the power your money can have when it goes beyond your hands. And if you never live generously, if you're a person that never gets to that point of living generously, I think it says a lot about where your heart is. But you and I were made in the image and likeness, the icon of our creator. So give to God what is God's. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for the challenging messages you bring to us. Jesus was able to shut down a crowd with these words, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and God what is God's. And if I'm honest, it's not my money I have a hard time letting go of. It's, it's the fact that my heart is in the wrong place and I don't want to submit to you. And I'm guessing I'm not the only one like that. I'm guessing I'm not the only one who has a hard time giving generously. I'm not the only one who, who can come up with a million reasons why I can't, why I shouldn't, why I need it. But the, but the honest truth is, Father, if we will surrender to you, if we will let you have our heart first and foremost, then you will open our eyes to the truth. Open our eyes to the, the reality that what we need is less, or what we want is less than what other people need. That you will change our hearts to, to be broken by those who are hurting. You will have our hearts be broken by those on the other side of the world who don't have anyone to tell them about the glorious salvation and the, the, the eternity-changing gospel of Jesus, and we will want to pour our money into things that are more important, helping people who are hurting and, and giving it to those who are going around the world to share your message. And so, Father, I just pray that in all things you would help us to be like you. You would help us to hold money less tightly and help us to hold you more tightly so that we can actually give to you what is yours us, our lives. We are made in your image and in your likeness. Let that likeness shine out of us more and more each and every day. We pray all this in Jesus' good and holy name. Amen.